We're the Westlop Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skos-Gaspo. Guys, it is really nice to go into Iowa and win. Um, the last four times we've been to Kinnick, we've come out with W's. It's been almost the exact same game every time. Like I'm thinking back to two, I'm thinking back to two years ago, right? Um, when we went into Iowa on a cold, windy night or afternoon that turned into night. Um, that's when we came away with the the Big Ten championship. Here it was maybe not as cold, but very windy. Uh, afternoon turned to night. Ugly game. Um, at, at least as far as the scoring was concerned. Uh, defense definitely, uh, I, I think, wins the gold star for the day uh, as far as Northwestern's concerned. And we come away with a, with a very close victory. So we, yeah. we always we always say going into the season, like we know exactly what Iowa is. And they don't change, which is why every time we play Iowa, you know what the game is going to be. It's going to be a close game. And here we are, Saturday night. 21-20, Northwestern wins. Right. I think, of course, we're built to play this team. Um, uh, polls, every recent poll of any Northwestern fan base has just confirmed. We think of Iowa as our chief rival. Um, we are built to play this team. Stylistically, these two teams are similar. We hammer each other. But in this game, I mean, it's we had three horrific turnovers in this game, two of which were in the first quarter. Um had a nightmare of an of a first quarter, and then were solidly the better team for the next three quarters and won the game and were on the comeback trail for you know the vast majority of this game. Um, and you know, I think at the end of the day, what it all comes down to is an absolute masterclass by this defense. Um, you will not see a defense play a better game than this. And again, I know we are built defensively, historically, and this year to play this team. But whoa, Nelly, what a good defensive performance. Well, we talked about coming off the last game against Maryland, right, where we struggled to pressure the QB. I think you saw some of that again in this game, although John's got some really interesting points um, to consider there, which I, which I think are spot on. But the three leading tacklers, I mean, this is this is the tagline, right? Chris Berg <laughs> the and boy, The Fisher. boys. Yeah, Chris Berg and Patty Fisher and Blake Gallagher had 34 <laughs> tackles between them. Um, they were our number one, two, and three leading tacklers. Nobody else was close, and it's exactly what we expected, right, that Iowa was going to try to pound the ball, and we were going to meet them right there, and this game was going to be won or lost based on what their QB could do, and he couldn't. Right, absolutely. And I think it's funny because, and we'll get to this a little bit more, you know, down the road, although I suppose, you know, since we're talking about Iowa's offense versus our defense, a lot of people, you know, I, I think, and we'll address this when we eventually talk about our offense, but I do feel like there were a few grumblings within the Northwestern fan base at a couple of times about the kind of run to pass variation in this game. Um, and, and again, we're not here to assign any blame. We're all scarred. We're all scarred from the past decade. Look, and we, we can look at stat lines and look at these, you know, 60 runs versus 18 passes and stuff like that. But just know, Iowa tried to do the exact opposite. And Iowa bailed on their run game when it wasn't working. 
And it was a nightmare for them. And I'm not saying it would have gone any better had they kept trying to pound the ball um, because they weren't getting anywhere with that. But just know, Iowa was dealing with this and being like, oh crap, we can't run the ball at all in this game. And then they just threw that out the window and it didn't work at all for them. They threw it 50 times and they ran 23 times. It didn't work at all. And um, at least at least early in the game when they were trying to be variable and multiple, that was when they had their greatest success. When they abandoned the run completely and just became one-dimensional, everything changed. Yeah, it's so, I mean, it's it was strange. And like Scuzz said right off the top, I mean, gr- totally right to highlight the linebackers. They were on it. Um, but Scuzz alluded to this earlier. Um, the defensive line, and I just want to throw out his name right off the bat. Ekuliota had a masterclass of a game. Um, and this will not show up on the stat sheet because on the stat sheet, he has one tackle, one sack, one TFL is all the same play. You will not find a bigger misrepresentation of a guy's day than that stat line. And I think you can kind of look at him as an avatar for the defensive line as a whole, because it, he had a phenomenal game they had a phenomenal game. And, you know, a crazy thing, and we were kind of talking about this, and we've all been batting this back and forth because we, we've we been wanting to get these pods up as quickly as possible in the week so that you guys can all digest it as quickly as possible. But then, you know, on the flip side, we're at the mercy of injury reports and things that come out later. Um, and, for example, like, we didn't know that Trevor Kent was not going to play in this game. And we did know that there was a good chance Jason Gold wasn't going to play in this game. And we've talked forever about how we have tackles for days – but there is a limit, and a couple things happened in this game. Um, just to throw out a name, Joe Spivak, who's never started, and remember was a you know a walk on, um, who picked Northwestern over an, over a Michigan State scholarship offer. Um, he started in this game and played the whole way. He and Jake Saunders logged intense minutes in this game. And, and Tommy, d- don't, for, don't forget Spivak's run as uh, fullback a couple times in our jumbo offensive package. Exactly. So, I mean, he was doing heavy heavy lifting here. Tommy Adebawore was playing inside, outside, inside, outside, and really doing double duty here. And all of that basically meant that Ernest Brown and Echo Leota went wire to wire at end. Those guys went the whole way. Um, and I wanted to start out with Leota because I, I feel a little guilty last week because I talked about the fact that he was built like a safety. Um, and... That's not exactly accurate. Um, he's, you know, he's got those 250 pounds. And I, I kind of, I think it, we're so used to Northwestern's ends looking like a Gaziano, looking Two, like a Dean Lowry. <laughs> right. That you see a guy who's not that and it just kind of messes with you. But with that said, he went off in this game. And I think there was this really revel, this real revelatory moment that happened somewhere late second quarter where I think Hankowitz realized, because again, um, he's dealing with these new ends and Iowa's offensive line is not bad. They are by far, I mean, like far from being the worst offensive line we're going to face this year. This is a strong in the trenches team. It's Northwestern v. Iowa. We know what this is in the trenches, right? Um, And we were struggling to get to Petrus in the first and beginning of the second quarter of this game. And then at some point, Hankowitz realized he didn't 
have to get to Petrus. He just had to move Petrus because when Petrus moves, he don't throw accurate. Every, every single ev- ball coming out ev- of his hand was high when he was every, on the move. Every single one. And on the move for this guy can be stepping up into the pocket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the and what that led to was Ernest Brown and Ecoliota playing this kind of ping pong where Iowa's tackles are okay at pass pro, not amazing. And they would both go on the around the outside. And what Petrus would do is he, instead of using his pocket, would just go left or right and effectively force himself into the opposite end. And they, they weren't like getting sacks, but then he'd throw it. And the results would range from, as Scuzz said, a mere incompletion, which he threw a heck of a lot of, to the three interceptions. And two of those interceptions, the first one and the game-ending one, effectively game-ending, were directly caused by Leota. On the first one, he came around the outside. He got around behind Petrus's back. And Petrus stepped into the pocket, didn't know where Leota was, but knew he was back there somewhere and unloaded it as quickly as he could. And Brandon Joseph was standing in front of his man. And Petrus was like, I just got to get it out. I got to get it out. He's behind me somewhere. And then the third one, Scuzz and I were talking about this today. Uh, that's some Afadi Adenabo stuff. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> if you want to go back and watch Bryce Ga- uh, Blake Gallagher's pick at the end of this game, that is some Afadi Adenabo, Rod, uh, Rob Havenstein, Nebraska stuff right there. He just shoves his man onto the ground and into Petrus. And Petrus goes, ah, and just throws it. <laughs> uh, it was it was amazing. I mean, and you really should consider this a master class. But again, you know, for for a group that we are used to, you know, rotating in eight, nine guys, even ten guys across our defensive line throughout a game, about really about five guys here went close to wire to wire. And you're talking Brown, Leota, Adebowore, Spivak, Saunders. These guys put in a full shift and they were awesome and they deserve all the credit in the world so john you mentioned brandon joseph uh with the two with the two picks he's a guy that we talked a lot about last week and i have to say like watching what's that what's that guy's senior senior right no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh redshirt freshman <laughs> let's try um but i tell you what he also he does not look he doesn't look like the types of players we've had at safety the last few years and here's what i mean and you can and you and this this comes to play in his positioning around the ball, um, his effectiveness in coverage, and the you know the athleticism he displayed in those in those uh, interception returns. This is a rangy, fast dude yep. at center or at, at 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 safety for Northwestern. And when I think of Northwestern safeties in the past, I think of um, Ibrahim Campbell or. Uh, like stout, nasty, nasty hitters, but dudes that they're not, they're not, they're not checking in at six one. I mean, like he just looks the part of a center field center fielder out there that, you know, can, can just levy the woodshed on somebody. And it's, he's a really impressive player. Like, Holy cow. Um, obviously the team has been really excited to, to let this dude loose and, 
they're all talking him up as well. AJ Hampton also had a game. I, there was a there was a sequence where he was running stride for stride um, with uh, Emir uh, Smith Marset. I was fastest player, I think, um, downfield. The, the pass was overthrown, but he was right there with his man. Uh, then I think broke up a pass at the sideline. I just like he was he was everywhere on uh, on a couple sequences. John, you tweeted during the game like the secondary in general, the coverage was incredible when you consider how few reps these dudes have actually gotten in play. Rod Hurd in his first year as a player. Uh, Azima got out there a couple times. Ruiz, stout um, per usual. But what what a revelation this, this secondary is right now. Still without Greg Newsom. I know. I yeah, know. and like he was dressed. And uh, obviously uh, he, he didn't play. Yeah, but he did get on the, uh, the stat sheet. As he was the guy who came in off the sideline to celebrate after the interception yeah. that caused that 15 yard penalty. But uh, yeah. that was, I actually read that. I, I was thinking the same thing. I was, I was actually like, oh, well, that means he's healthy. It means he's out there anyway. So that was good. That was, yeah, that was kind of my thought. Um, you're totally right. And I think the idea was he was, you know, he was break glass if needed for this game. Um, you mentioned Ruiz. To me, he gets the award for guy who did the most and the most work and the most thankless work um he was out there you know pro, you know getting a lot of primary receivers primary work out there really tight coverage um and he was he was the one who just like i said had the most thankless work that touchdown catch at the beginning fantastic coverage i mean he was blanketing that guy he had a hand up high and the receiver just made a phenomenal catch, and then he got whistled for the most ticky tack pass interference. Yeah, call that was later oof. in the game where we were like, "Oh my gosh, you, he touched his waist." Are you kidding me? Um, but that was all to say, like he he was the sin eater for a phenomenal coverage group, like you said. And I think you had that combined with Hank figuring out how to work that team offensively. I mean, how to work that team defensively and being like, look, I figured it out. I know how we're going to get this guy. Um, and it's not going to be by actually bringing him down. And the coverage was so good. And, and that's it. And I, you know, we, I tweeted it out this morning. We're, we're averaging an interception for every 3.8 points given up right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, that's good, folks. Um, that means you're either giving up a ton of points and breaking the NCAA record for interceptions, or you're just not giving up a lot of points and, and picking the ball off at a good rate. So, you know, six picks through two games is pretty awesome with like what Scuzz said, uh, a young secondary. So again, we're, we're built to play this team. We know it, but I mean, come on, that's just a masterclass against a team that is a, you know, a strong, tough nosed team. Um, and we just we owned them on that side of the ball. Well, let's, and let's just call a spade a spade here, right? They got they got their first touchdown required one play and seven yards, right? Coming after the fumble, their second touchdown three plays, forty five yards. And I mean, you could tell Northwestern was just kind of shell shocked at that point and and whatnot. But on on drives where Northwestern did not fumble the ball to Iowa, we held them to three points and one missed field goal. Yeah, I mean, give give him a long field, and, and I was I was watching the game and thinking this is a masterclass of Mike Hankowitz's defense. Keep everything in front of you. Yeah, you know, just you, you want you want two or three yards. Sure, here you go. But 
you know, Petrus ended up being, you know, just slightly over a 50, uh, 52% completion percentage. And if you're not getting anything deep and you're only getting 52% of your passes completed, that's not going to get it done. And especially, you know, when you consider that his first quarter was as, as good as it was as far as completion percentage and, and whatnot, after that, he was miserable. And that had everything to do with the pressure, the moving him around, and not giving him anything deep. I mean, the 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 four point two yards per attempt is just horrific. Now, obviously, that's an efficiency metric that's that's dictated a lot by his his really bad completion percentage. Iowa's receivers only averaging eight point three yards per catch. That's right. catastrophic. Oh yeah, and. And again, too, we should mention we haven't mentioned it yet, right? But um, you know, we'll we'll talk about Nebraska later, and we get it. We're not trying to put the cart before the horse. We're not trying to jinx, but just know through two games, it's one of the best defenses in the country. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, well, and you know what works against Nebraska? Like, keep all that shit in front of you, and you know, give them a couple a couple yards here and there. Uh, it works works great when you have an inaccurate QB, right? And and you know. We've, we talked, we, we shouted from the rooftops to anyone who would listen that uh, we were going to have a good defense and Minnesota was not going to have a good defense. But still, when you hold a team to three points and they turn around and score 45 points and win the week after that, um, that reflects well on the team that only gave up three points to them the game before. <laughs> um, and that's what this defense is right now. So yeah, Nebraska is a different animal than Iowa in terms of everything they're going to try to do on offense. They, they're they not the same type of offense. But um, through two games, our defense is absolutely phenomenal. And that's what let us take that massive punch in the first quarter of this game and then jump back into it. So let's talk about our offense a little bit. Um, you know, it wasn't the greatest day offensively. Um you know, it was it was either like not pretty or or like you were over the moon because this is like this is the type of football that you want. Yeah, it's very true. I mean, <laughs> are you are you are you are you voice tweeting directly at Fitz Scuzz with that or? <laughs> well, I was kind of baiting you too, John. <laughs> so Peyton Ramsey, eleven of 18, 130 yards, and the the one interception, um, sixty rushes. Uh, for 143 yards, not a lot offensively as far as sheer numbers go, but, uh, you know, got it done when it counted. And, you know, you mentioned that, that there was some consternation that this was looking a little uh, McCall-esque, if you will, from time to time. But, I I mean, there were di- clear differences um, only, in, all, yeah, all, was, across the, all across the board. I was going to say, I... I'm, I will see the floor to Scuzz in a second because Scuzz is going to tell you exactly what you, what you you know, from a running standpoint, exactly what that means. The one thing I, I want to say out, because we haven't mentioned it yet, um, is the weather for this game was kind of a mess, right? The wind was, was all over the place. And Iowa's reasoning, and this affected Northwestern also, but Iowa's reasoning is, well, Petrus has a cannon. So we feel like we can throw through it. He does have a cannon. Those balls weren't missing because of the wind. (laughs) (laughs) He was just spraying all over the place. But on the flip side, one thing we know about Ramsey now, and you can see it on tape, is he doesn't have the strongest arm in the world. Like, he he doesn't have a rocket launcher. Um, 
that's not who he is. And you factor in the fact that the announcers had him saying uh, in the interview they did with him before the game that wind is the thing he hates the most of any weather condition, <laughs> that he hates throwing when it's windy. So you kind of go, well, okay. Um, and Bajakian is probably factoring all that in and being like, well, if we can get it done on the ground, I'd just as soon get it done on the ground. Um, when, when I want to I underscore that point you just made, John, about, about Peyton's arm, because the thing is like, and go back and watch the Maryland tape, folks, or that, that highlight package that we pointed y'all to, because it's it's so clear in the first three drives about Peyton Ramsey. He is a touch passer. Mm-hmm. He likes to know where his guy is going and that he's going to be open and to and to float that ball in there. And, like, the timing is is spot on. And it's it's not, you know, something that's taking too long to travel or, so, like, he's, he's getting it up over the linebackers, et cetera, like, this is the hallmark of a really good QB. And we saw him at times on Iowa, especially in some of those critical third towns, like blister a ball into a McGowan or um, or an RCB when necessary, right? Like he, he can throw it hard. He, he's never going to be a, a rocket-armed QB, but his preference is clearly that touch pass and that comment he made about hating the wind is just like, like kind of picture perfect completes the, the the 360 view right and i mean it's important to know right he threw 70 complete passes in this game one was a screen pass he threw into the ground on a dead play one was that brutal interception which yes it was brutal but it also is in stark contrast to every other thing he did in this game and it bears mentioning had he just thrown that ball out of bounds that would have been an amazing play because he had already escaped the pocket gotten himself out of pressure and um he was it was an open receiver it also bears mentioning that that was malik washington who just happens to be the shortest guy in our entire receiver core um but the the other thing that i was going to bring up is interestingly enough two of the other incompletions were drops and they were drops on wide receiver, wide receiver screenplays. And I have a hunch, and this is still, this is all on the wide receivers. Like these were, it hit him in the hands on a wide receiver screen. And it's kind of weird to see that drop twice. But his ball takes a little time getting there. Um, he just doesn't have a rocket for an arm. Um, and I think the wideouts have to adjust to that. But in a screen situation, you have a wideout being like, all right, ball's got to get here, got to get here, because I got to go as soon as this thing shows up. And it's just that thing that gets in a receiver's head for a split second, and then they check out the minute they get the ball, and they take off before they've secured it. And, you know, I only bring that up because it's so rare to see two drops on a play like that with two different receivers. Um, But it's all a way of saying, right, that you're trying to get in the mind of of coach jake because you're saying all right they really didn't throw the ball that much and if you were watching the game you know the pocket was clean man Mm -hmm. it was clean he was sacked twice i mentioned in tweets today you know you can count the mississippis on those sacks um they were not getting to the quarterback at all and it's not only that it's that they did a lot of four-man rush with seven men in coverage. And uh, Ramsey knows exactly when to take off. He's cool as a cucumber. You don't force him to do anything. 
He just sits back and he's like, well, I got all day back here. But I'm telling you, the minute I see daylight, I know seven yards when I see it and I'm going to take it. Um, so he did that a bunch of times where he could have sat in and threw the ball. And then we were joking today. The two sacks that he took, basically, you're like, you know, it, it's okay to freak out a little bit at some point. You know what I mean? Don't fall asleep in the pocket back there, man. Um, but you kind of see him being like, I look, short of a guy grabbing me, I don't feel pressure. So you're either going to get to me or you're not. But if you're going to give me all day to throw the ball, I will find something back there. And at some point it's like, hey, you know, t- take it down and, and just go. But, you know, the last thing I'll say before I pivot to Scuzz, because Scuzz has some really interesting thoughts on play selection here. Um, it's, it's important for everyone to know who's looking at the spread on this and being like, yeah, and look at the rush numbers and and getting those kind of McCall thoughts and looking at the, the average per carry. couple things. Iowa made a conscious decision, okay, that they were just going to surrender any hope of a pass rush in this game, okay? They started a 305-pound guy, a 310-pound guy, and two 280-pound guys at defensive end. None of whom, really Chauncey Golston being the only one, um, any with any kind of pass rush pedigree. And Golston's really bread was all buttered two years ago when every other guy on the defensive line was an NFL player. Um, so they were just all about stopping the run, okay? And the second thing to know is if the season ended today, Davion Nixon would be first team all Big Ten at defensive tackle. He has five and a half tackles for loss through two games. And he was their second leading tackler as a defensive tackle. He's awesome. He might be the best DT we play this year. Um, so if you're looking and you know, you're trying to search and find a way to be negative on all this stuff, just know Iowa's defensive line um, was set up to do specific things in this game. And, you know, we dealt with it and we dealt with it effectively. Well, it's, I think it's important to talk about Ramsey and his running because that's that's one of the unlocks to me on how this game uh, played out. And a lot of it is what Iowa was offering to your point, John, not just in their defensive line though, like in what they did with their back seven. I mean, like they were mm-hmm. generally dropping seven guys, a lot of times eight guys into coverage. And it is, it is not easy to scheme guys open. It's not even easy for guys to get open in that scenario. And that's where Ramsey's, you know, headiness comes in. And and if you are just coming back and looking at the box score, he's got 12 carries for 26 yards. Well, take away two of those carries and add about 20 yards. That's what he lost on those two sacks. So he averaged and, 40 and the yards kneel downs. Oh, yeah, yeah, and the kneel downs too. Good point, Sam. Um, so, I mean, he averaged over four yards per carry. Uh, there, You know, he took, took a couple vicious hits, but was able to generally get first downs um, with maybe the exception of that one against Golston uh, early on in the game. But... The reality that it was just there, and I, when you adjust his his passing attempts up to you know call it twenty eight close to thirty, um versus you know adjusting the the team rushes from sixty down to fifty, like it starts to be get be, get, get like get a little bit more palatable, um from a from an offensive scheme perspective versus McCall. I think what's important to note though, well, so, so here, here's my, here's my crack theory of the week is that, you know, coming off of the Maryland game and coming to this game, Fitz took Jake aside and was like, look, buddy, <laughs> that was great, but we haven't lost at Iowa in seven years. And 
we're going to do it my way this week. <laughs> so, I mean, I like that's a little little bit like a little bit tongue in cheek. Um but the reality is with 20 mile an hour winds with Riley Lee's injured with RCB nicked up, like I'm not surprised that they went heavy to the run. Um Did, did you guys notice when Lee I mean, he got hurt early cuz he wasn't back mm-hmm. there fair catching like yep. after the first punt. So or I I feel like I might might have seen somewhere he might have been a little tweaked earlier in the, like in the middle of the week and then tried to give it a go and it didn't work. I don't know. Like he's he had his arm in a sling. Either way, I mean he was out there for no more than like three plays, right? And then RCB uh looked injured at some point during that first quarter, I think. Um I I I think Northwestern just tried decided to play it safe. I I think you know, when you look at the interceptions that Pet- Petrus threw, not again, not wind aided, but on a day like that, all you need is to be off target by a little bit and you get tip drills, right? And and at least one, if not two of those interceptions were tip drills. Ramsey being more susceptible to the wind. Again, I think they just played it safe. And I, I think it was very easy for them to look at this Iowa team and say, especially at halftime and say, we can run the ball on these guys enough and they're not going to score against our defense full stop unless we turn the ball over again and i like it was a very old school mentality to a football game these are two old school coaches in this game so it wasn't you know it probably wasn't playing with fire quite as much as it felt like in the mccall area era the other thing that's just really important to comment on is the the, the nature in which we rush all of the misdirection that bajakian likes to use was on display in this and i think you know, if my little vignette is true, like Fitz walked away and Bajakian was like, all right, fine, Fitz, but I'm still going to have my fun. I mean, you had you had motion all over the place. You had Northwestern really effectively running, like effectively read options against the blitz. So if, if, if Iowa was bringing a blitz, Northwestern was running to the opposite side. Um, having read that blitz, it was, it was really, really cool. The jet sweep to McGowan. Oh, uh, my God. For the touchdown. So good. A, a jet sweep worked. Awesome. B, it worked because we've set it up and used one of our primary playmakers to run it instead of a dude we're running off from the sidelines just to run jet sweeps. And I know we beat this Jelani Roberts thing to death. Like it's been a couple of years now, but my God, this is like, this is a functioning offense. Um, you often had, uh, you almost, you often almost had like running backs crossing the backfield. I know we didn't run a lot of two, two back sets, but it just, it felt like that to me when you had, the motion going one way and then the running back running the opposite way and just a really good play on what I think they probably saw on tape from Maryland, which was a bit more straight ahead running. There was a lot of that today as well as Isaiah Bowser and, and his, his strength and his power, my goodness, um, just on display all day long. But the, the, the misdirection and the multipleness of this run game was still very, very apparent. Absolutely. I think, you know, we were looking the it's so there's great misdirection. And like you said, I mean, the the idea that that McGowan thing can come at any time and we'll we'll run misdirection out of it, too. Um, And we'll run fakes out of it. I mean, like Jesse Brown got a couple out of those. Um, And the other thing, the tosses, too, um, and that we'll run two types of toss, a seal out, you know, a wall off pull toss to the boundary. And that classic Denver Broncos zone toss, um, which Bowser is great at reading because that guy is a patient runner. 
um, and he'll find that cutback lane. Um, but all of that is, you know, kind of a long way circling around to the one, you know, the, the last kind of thing that we haven't mentioned relative to the offense. Um, if I can just circle back to the Iowa defense really quickly, one of those 270-plus defensive ends that Iowa started in this game uh, <laughs> was Zach Van Valkenburg, who had a really solid game when you factor in what Iowa was trying to do in this game, right, which was just go heavy and just that's their game plan and try to stop us between the tackles, right? From a defensive end, he had seven tackles, he had a half a tackle for a loss, and he recovered that fumble in the first quarter. Um, And I bring all of this up, this yeoman's work, because thanks to pro football focus, Zach Van Valkenburg is only going to be known for one thing in this game, and that is getting ragdolled by Man Bear Pete. (laughs) Uh, Because Man Bear Pete... uh, in case you hadn't heard, good at this offensive line thing. His pro football focus grade through two games is 91.4, which, if it sounds good, it is good. He's it's, a true freshman. True they don't adjust freshman. that for your tenure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and in the tweet where pro football focus tweeted this out, they tweeted out a play where um, it ends with Skaronsky. Um, slamming his arms into an Iowa linebacker. And the reason he's done that is because he's in the second level. And the reason he's in the second level is because at the snap, he grabs Van Valkenburg and chucks him to the ground like a doll. In, and into then the run- defensive tackle, by the uh-huh. way. <laughs> yeah, he threw him into <laughs> he, another guy. Kind of took out three Iowa defenders. Yeah. Um, he's And that's... These are his first two games, folks, as Scuzz said, of, of his college career. No red shirt. There's, um, a, there's a phrase in hockey that is um, essentially, show me a good, a, a good coach, and I'll show you that he's probably got a good goalie. Um, th- there's, there's probably a similar phrase in football, show me a good offensive coach, I'll show you a good O-line. And, like, I kind of hope that Mick McCall wasn't watching this game because I think he might have some sour grapes if he was. Like, uh, like well, uh, well, that, that that too. The, and the thing is too, right? The other, the rest of the offensive line is two seniors, two juniors, and they're all playing great right now. Um, and and that's the thing. It's like we have this wonderkind freshman on the left side of the line, and the rest of the line is super. Um, and and again, I. I get that some of you are sticking back and being like super, like 2.4 yards a carry or whatever. 143 yards and three touchdowns, folks. That's how Iowa thinks of it. And while we're at it, um, we were better than 50% on third downs. I, I was I was going to bring that up because 10 of 19 on third downs is, is amazing. That's huge. Right. And holding them to 6 of 17, you know, we're extending drives and we're stopping them from extending drives. And that that's a, that's a, that's a massive stat. And two of those third downs that we didn't get, we got the fourth down on the next play, um, and we were two for two on fourth down conversions. And the tenor of this game, which we've talked about already, but we fell into this massive hole that had nothing to do with play selection. Uh, we were down seventeen nothing in the blink of an eye in this game, and all of this you know play selection. Say what you will about it. The majority of it happened during a time when we scored, we went on a 21 to 3 run and climbed back into this game and took the lead. And then we're protecting that lead 
um, for the rest of the third and all of the fourth quarter. So um, it worked. What we were doing worked. Um, it, it, it it did work, and I think I think there's a set of circumstances. So I've talked about. I think I talked about this last week. I think last week we had 31 first downs and maybe 16 or 18 third downs, and like that's kind of ratio you want of of like close to two to one first downs to third downs. What that generally means is you're being aggressive on first and second down. You're avoiding getting to third down so that you don't have to worry about, you know, a 50, 50 coin flip of how many you, you convert. You're, you're going to have bad games where you don't convert a lot of third downs. And as, as a, as you design an offense, as you design a scheme, as you game plan and script plays, generally you'd like to avoid third down and Northwestern seemed to go in the opposite direction of that and, and embrace third down in a way in this game i mean it felt like you know we were there were i think eight times um or plus we were plus eight calling runs on first down meaning we 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 called runs eight more times than we called we called passes on first down uh seven more times we ran the ball on second and long than passing it and so like these are these are generally signs of an inefficient offense or signs of of an offense that maybe isn't struggling but maybe isn't very sustainable and i think the difference, what I hope the difference is that this is not our default this year. That was the default during during 2018 and 2017. I went back and, or 2019 and 2018 and 2017. I went back and looked. Um, 2016 were pretty good actually in that regard. But my point being, like, I don't think this is a, this is the default for Northwestern. I think I think the fact that we were down, we couldn't afford to turn the ball over, and with the wind, just decided. Look, our game plan was to go to go a little heavier on run. We are going to just steer into that. We think we've got the right players and the right scheme to make it happen. And credit to these guys, right? We talked about Bowser, uh, Anderson had a couple of really nice highlight plays. That that catch and run in particular was was just filthy. And then how about number one, Jesse Brown? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yes. Talk two, about well deserved. Oh, totally. Two 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 touchdowns, like. Really hard running uh, around the outside, breaking tackles. Didn't get, you know, I think only ended up with 20 yards or something like that, but um, 20 very, like, meaningful, important yards. And, I like, th- there was some chatter that maybe Bowser got, I don't know, not, not benched, but lost some time because of that fumble. I don't know. I just, like, the, the pieces of this team work together in ways that we haven't seen for, frankly, two seasons and it's it's really nice to see how that is all working. The, the only other point I wanted to make on offense is um, John, John Rain. I don't think he even got targeted in this game. Um, I think he was targeted on the interception. I'm was pretty that- sure. I'm pretty sure that was going to rain. But other than that, yeah, he was he was not in the game plan. I just I Iowa must have really put a circle around him coming into this week and um and bracketed him effectively like I, I couldn't see in in what i rewatched of the game I, sometimes the espn feed is is not as good as big 10 network in this regard but um i just i and i also i i, I lose him um i i guess he wouldn't he, i couldn't confuse him for lees this week because lees wasn't on the field but regardless i i i, I just couldn't see how they were covering him downfield but his complete lack of presence on the on the um on the score sheet tells me that that they were doing a pretty good job of taking him away and it's interesting to see mcgowan who who was my guy my my 
guy that I predicted to kind of be the focal point of this offense to really emerge as that leading receiver. He had that jet sweep, had a couple other carries out of the backfield, and yes, he had the fumble early on, but you know, made up for it in spades as we went. And I just, it's interesting to see, like, yes, the tight ends continue going to continue to be featured in this offense. You saw Mangieri um, in the end zone almost pull down an amazing mm. uh, catch for a touchdown. But week to week, I think you you are going to see Northwestern's receiving targets kind of kind of fluctuate. I got I got to ask after seeing a, a few times with the uh, Joe Spivak uh, jumbo package. Oh, that was so beautiful with with, with him op- opening holes for uh, Jesse Brown to go in and score. He's going to get a touchdown this year, isn't he? Like probably with them putting on I tape really that, that so. he's going to go he's going to go in and block. And you know everyone's going to be focusing on that he's the lead blocker. You you do that quick handoff to the fullback. He'll I I'm going to go on the record. He's going to score at some point this year. <laughs> I just, I'd love I, to see it. I want to circle back really quickly to this one more time too because it speaks to where I think we're about to go in a second too. Is I really want to hammer this home that we talked the whole the whole lead in to this season um, as soon as it fired up and even prior to that prior to the initial shutdown that Iowa's defense was going to be the best defense we played in the first four games and that is still true with a bullet in this game yeah the front four of Iowa's defensive line is so completely different from any other front four we play in the first four games of the year um it's it's not so if you look and you're like oh man late in the game like Northwestern needed the bleed clock and, you know, we had to throw it into the line. And it's like, well, some of that's situational. But then if you're also like, oh, man, you know, yeah, we brought out the Spivak jumbo package and it takes us two or three times to get in. Well, that's because, like, Iowa's entire culture is built against that kind of thing. That's well, their that's their corner. Um, yeah, that but hold, ain't, but hold it, on. Like, when has Northwestern ever been good at doing that? Oh no, no! And I'm not like like we right. like we're a field goal machine inside of the five yard line over the last six or seven years, and the oh. fact that that we're actually getting it done against the the best. Def- I mean, that's- oh no, exactly, exactly. I mean, that's my thing. But like, what I'm saying is, understand that this defensive line of Iowa's is one of the either the second or third best that we are going to see of the eight games that we play. And it's a pretty steep drop-off from three to four, and then from four to everybody else. And that most certainly includes the team that we play next week. Um, it's it's This was a big win. Um, this was our offensive line bearing out against a massive group of guys. Um, and now they have a run of guys, you know, in in the back half of the schedule, or really the last six games. Um, there are a bunch of defensive linemen that are not prepared for what's coming at them. So, are we ready to talk about this weekend's game? Uh, anything else to mention about uh, the Iowa game before we move on? I don't think so. Other okay. than just again the. The Hog Mollies, I was very impressed, and I'm excited to, to talk about those guys heading into this game. So we are now in Nebraska week. Um, Nebraska, who was off last week due to the uh, the COVID uh, outbreak at Wisconsin. They had to cancel the game against Nebraska. Nebraska endearing themselves to the Big Ten yet again, trying to uh, 
squeeze in a, a game against Chattanooga kind of last minute. Um, Are they done? I, like, it's, it's read fun. the Dan, room, Nebraska. Oh my God. Read the room. Dan Wetzel wrote a really good article about like the, the mismarriage between the big 10 and Nebraska and how it just, it just has never really worked out. And it's like that. I don't know how to describe it, but it, but it, 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 it seems like that, that coworker or that, um, family member or something like on paper, it should work. But in, but there's just, there's just some difference in philosophy or in self-awareness that, um, that causes problems. And and he articulated it as, you know, like Nebraska doesn't like the big 10 is, is this kind of stodgy conservative place, right? Like for, for, for ill or for good, but like they really stick to their guns and make decisions as a group, et cetera, et cetera. And the fact that like his comment was no other school in the conference would have even thought to try and schedule someone and, and change the vote on conference only for this year. Like it just wouldn't have even crossed their minds to bring it up. And, and, and like I'm being a little hyperbolic here, like I I'm, I'm, it's the sort of thing like if you're Jim Phillips, you maybe call up you know one of your one of your pals at the other university, and say, hey, you know what 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 would you think if we did something like this? And, and yeah, Nebraska, but the, like went the, out and the signed diff- it and everything, and then said, hey, by the way, can we do this? Yeah, the difference is Phillips would have asked the rest of the conference first. Nebraska's yeah. like, we're doing this. We'll we'll ask for uh, forgiveness rather than permission. That doesn't fly in the Big Ten. It's it's like they just they can't they can't get it right right now, <laughs> and they suck on top of it. Right, so. You know, Nebraska coming off their week one, shellacking by Ohio State. Um, and it, it's interesting. As we start to preview uh, this weekend's game, um, you know, you, you kind of wish we'd, we'd been able to see them play Wisconsin just to get a little bit more of a sense. Because, you know, the first quarter, uh, you know, the first half against Ohio State, Nebraska, I mean, it was a close game. Obviously, the second half, you know, Ohio State just like rip rolled all over them. Um you know, final score of 52 to 17. So it's, you know, it, it, it's hard to read into that. You know, as we're, we're previewing week two, it's like, well, you know, all we have is the information from week one. Let, let's see what we, what we know there. And now after week two, we know a lot more about uh, every other team in the big 10, except for Nebraska and Wisconsin. And Wisconsin just, I mean, that that's a whole other story that, you know, we're, we're going to see, you know, how much this uh, outbreak is going to completely ravage that team. 21 day uh, away from the team for their top two healthy quarterbacks. Yeah, so we'll talk about Wisconsin in a bit. But, you know, not knowing about Nebraska, you know, what what are they as far like we know they gave up 52 points to Ohio State. Ohio State's really effing good. Um you know, we, we saw them run the two quarterbacks. We saw them run uh, Martinez and uh, Luke McCaffrey. Um, McCaffrey looked pretty decent at times, but without knowing, without having seen any more, how, how do we prepare for that? Well, and especially because teams, like like the biggest jump comes week one to week two, right? Yeah. You, you go through week one, you come back week two, you, you iron out some stuff. Um, I think, you know, you can look at, I think everybody agrees that the Minnesota defense is a mirage at best. Um, but <laughs> I was going to say, guys, I think they call what you're talking about the Talia. I believe. Yeah, yeah. but well, you can't look at his play and not see 
the the enhancement in his in, in and I'm talking about Talia Tungavaloa here, the quarterback for Maryland. You like his play elevated so much from week one to week two in terms of how he was seeing the game. They moved him out of the pocket so much against Nebraska or against Minnesota that they never really did that much against us. Um, they mostly had him like stepping up in the pocket and trying to to attack downfield and it just like dramatically different results, right? He put up a, he put up 45 on Minnesota and 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 one. So, like, not seeing as as much as we were pretty sure they were going to get steamrolled by Wisconsin, like not seeing Nebraska against them, it's hard to know what's really real. And you know, it's interesting. I'm as you dig into the play by play as you're talking here, Sam. And you know, Luke McCaffrey ripped off this 47 yard run that was more than half of his rushing yards. It was on the third play of the game, right? Um, I, I think that probably caught Ohio State by a little bit by surprise. Not to say that he couldn't rip off a big run against us, but um, it's it's different, right? When when you've at least seen it once. Uh, I just what I'm struggling with is 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 you know what's going to be different about Nebraska? You know, not getting that second chance to see what they are. I mean, I, I think I know what this team is. I'm what has me nervous. I guess um, I'll just be transparent here. Is is some of the other voices out there in college football, and I'm not talking about the the talking heads on TV that get this stuff wrong all the time, like like the one who said Nebraska was going to the national championship when Scott Frost got there. <laughs> but um, folks, people that I respect and that that are that are more that are right more often than they're wrong, and expressing that they were mildly impressed with Nebraska in that first week against Ohio state and thought the defense looked better than it had in years past. Um, I mean, they held Ohio state's rushing numbers, maybe lower than people were expecting. I'll also, I'll also point out that Ohio state got the exact same rushing production against Penn state. Um, so maybe they're just not that great of a rushing team. I look, I, I, kudos to you for delivering well-earned respect to certain people out in the the sphere okay this team gave up 215 yards and four touchdowns and one incomplete pass as well as 52 points i know it's ohio state um but uh you know for a couple things one do you have an accurate quarterback well ohio state does and he threw one incomplete pass we have an accurate quarterback so i look at that as a good sign um, and again, it's like they put up 215 yards and four touchdowns, and this game wasn't close after the first quarter, really. Um, and But just to kind of dig in a little bit on their defense, um, because, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, I certainly have things that make me nervous about them. We've known um, that Nebraska has half-decent linebackers. Like, that's something that was known. Um, they lose Muhammad Barry from last year, who was their best linebacker from last year. But their linebackers don't suck. Like, they're probably on par with Iowa's linebackers. They're decent. Um, they're not great. They're, like, okay to, like, that's pretty much what they are, is, like, okay. But they're certainly not bad, by no stretch of the imagination. Nebraska didn't have the 11th best run defense in the conference last year because their linebackers were bad. It's the defensive line. And if you look at this game, what's becoming pretty clear is Nebraska's best defensive lineman may be a freshman, which is Ty Robinson. And he's a defensive tackle, and he's 310 pounds, and he was a four-star recruit. He may be the best guy that they've got on there. It ain't Ben Still, okay? Like, 
Nebraska keeps trying to make fetch happen with Ben Still. And sorry, like, we've been around the block with this guy like four times. Like, it ain't him. And there's no third best guy and there's no fourth best guy. That's the defensive line. So, yes, you can watch the fact that a guy like Colin Miller has one and a half tackles for loss against Ohio State. And Will Honus has two sacks from the linebacker position for Ohio State. And you can look at that and you'd be like, oh, Eric Chenander's like using the linebackers creatively. And they're getting back. Folks, if Ohio State just wanted to run the ball in every play in this game, they could have and they would have pounded Nebraska into dust. You're they saying did. they could have gone all, they could have, they could have Iowa'd them? Right, exactly. And that's most likely what we're going to try to do with our sweet ass offensive line. Um, and again, also, you need to factor in the fact that Deontay Williams and Cam Taylor Britt are not playing in the first half of this game. because which, Nebraska, which is huge. Because Nebraska wasn't able to Tennessee Chattanooga their way out of first games, out of one-half <laughs> one suspensions for those guys. That, that, um, was good, that was going to be my biggest beef had they managed to get that game scheduled. It's like they, they're, burning, they're burning that first-half suspension against a nobody. And it's like... And, we, and we would have learned nothing about them because what is Chattanooga? But, you know, right. they, and they would this... be getting out of that suspension. Hey, Big Ten. Hey, Big Ten. We've got a couple of guys out for targeting. We're just going to schedule a random Wednesday game against, like, <laughs> right. you know, Illinois Wesleyan. Do you, like, and we're just, you know, we're just going to play all of our all of our freshmen who don't have any eligibility rules this year anyway. And, oh, yes, the three guys with targeting are going to sit in the first half. They're not going to play. It, it's cool, right? Right. The uh, exactly, and so and here's the thing: these are Nebraska's two starting safeties. Okay, and I hammered home in the Nebraska summer preview that Nebraska's super thin on defense. Were you listening when I said their best defensive lineman's a freshman? Yeah, they're super thin on defense, um, and their best athlete is Cam Taylor Britt, and he's not playing the first half of this game. They play him at up to three different positions throughout the game, um, and he's sitting. So we're going to hammer this team. We're going right at them, but you're going to get that Bajakian play variation. Everything that Scuzz was talking about, they're going to get the full bag of tricks here, okay? Um, and when you add all this up, like it's worth remembering that a guy like JoJo Doman did not play linebacker for most of his career at Nebraska. He's a good athlete, but he's a guy who switched positions and their safeties are going to basically never have played for the first half of this game. We're going at this team, okay? And maybe it's going to be through the air, but this is a team that's going to be missing their best athletes at safety. They've got decent linebackers and a bad defensive line. You hammer a team like this. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to go right at them with our two seniors, two juniors, all 300 plus pounds and our 91.4 pro football focus wonderkind. And we're going to hammer this team. Um, and again, you're asking, which is this defensive line closer to Maryland or Iowa? Maryland is the answer. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like. You can see how they grabbed eyeballs. Be like, hey, Justin Fields got sacked by the same Nebraska linebacker twice. Uh, yeah, that ain't what we're going to be doing, okay? Like, we're going to smack this team. And, you know, per- perfect you know, perfect scenarios. We've gotten out to a, a big lead in the first half. 
those two guys come back in the second half when all we're doing is running the ball. I mean that that is the that's the ideal scenario, right? Right. It is, except that this has always been a close game. Exactly. Oh. Exactly. Well, well, and and truth be told, too, uh, you know, if we jump back to the Iowa game really briefly, right? We absolutely dominated Iowa on the ground running the ball. And with that said, the one touchdown run that Tyler Goodson draw, where you see Blake Gallagher, who otherwise had a phenomenal game, you know, trying to grab that greased pig and not getting Goodson on that play and just not being able to quite get to the spot in time, right? Um, That's the one kind of play where I have a little bit of consternation just because Nebraska is that greased pig kind of team. And we know that Martinez and McCaffrey, like that's what they're going to try to do. They're going to try to be shifty. And it's funny, I almost feel like the best thing about McCaffrey is he builds redundancy into an offense where you know Martinez is going to get hurt. Oh my God, you just nailed it, John. Yeah, and and that's the thing, which in theory frees them up even more to do all the stuff that they want to do, right? Which is run willy-nilly with that guy. Except that their two best guys play the same position. Right. And one backs up the other. And so, like, this is the interesting thing. Against Ohio State, Dietrich Mills... Now, again, this is a game they got down a lot very early. They still, I mean, the, the the QBs only attempted 20 passes in this game. In a game that they lost 52-7, to Nebraska's QBs only attempted 20 passes. Now that speaks to how good Ohio State's defense was, getting them off the field, etc. And no matter what, going into this game this weekend, of the four units, the best unit on the field is definitely the Northwestern defense. And it and the second best might be the Northwestern offense, right? So, but when when I look at like Dietrich Mills carried the ball nine times for twenty five yards, of of their thirty six rushing attempts, one quarter were their starting running back, and like they are just they are running the ball so much with their with their QBs. It's exactly what happened last year. Like it eventually led to Adrian Martinez getting getting injured. Um, and and or turnovers. Uh, I, I talked last week about how he kicked the ball out of his own hands um, on his tenth run against Ohio State, and McCaffrey does the exact same thing. Now, like if they play these guys together, if they play Luke McCaffrey, McCaffrey in a Christian McCaffrey, you know, all over the field type role, who knows what we're going to see? I think the risk to them is that if and when Martinez goes down, McCaffrey's the backup, right? But. Yeah. Like what has what has not changed about the Nebraska offense, even with McCaffrey added in. Let's just point out that Northwestern has, has had some success against McCaffrey's in the past. Um, <laughs> but so what's not changed about Adrian Martinez is he remains a a QB with not great accuracy, and especially not a great accuracy going downfield. He also has no downfield targets right now. Wondell Robinson led this team in in receptions. It was a problem last year. It's been a problem since his freshman year when he had Stanley Morgan. Um, and I forget the name of the other dude who transferred to TCU, TCU last year, but they just they don't have big-time downfield playmakers. Now, Omar Manning was a top-flight JUCO transfer. He was injured. That kept him out of the Ohio State game. There were questions as to whether or not he was going to play against Wisconsin. I, I don't know if he's going to play against us. If he does, he's a guy to watch out for, right? Much like the receivers at Maryland. Um, 
the way our secondary has played for two weeks gives me great confidence in being able to contain him and the rest of the Nebraska receiving core. They've got especially, especially if Greg Newsom is back. Yeah, especially if Newsom is, is available to play, right? So so Robinson is, is really fast and like tiny little scat back type dude, but he generally just catches the ball underneath and goes laterally. And if you can keep him in front of you, you're good. Um, Jack Stoll and Austin Allen are their, their tight ends and they're, they're fine. They're big targets. Um, they each caught two balls against Ohio state. You know, Jack Stoll was, was heavy in the rotation as a receiver last year, but these aren't, you know, this isn't Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson, right. Who can, who can actually just beat you as they are. They need somebody else to contribute and they don't have that player on the team. Luke McCaffrey only got one reception against Ohio state. Like, they don't have that player on the team. So they could come out with something crazy that we just haven't had the opportunity to see with them only playing the one game and the, and the one game against the Buckeyes. But I I contend that Northwestern is just primely built to contain this Nebraska offense by the way we play defense in a keep everything in front of you, um, target the run. I mean, if, you, if, you're, if you're targeting the run and, and accounting for the running QB in that, like, Martinez isn't going to hurt you. And we've shown that in the past against Nebraska. So all those things being co- like coming together like makes me feel good about our ability to contain this team. And you throw a Newsom into the mix, even with an Omar Manning, we're going to be just fine. Right. It bears mentioning, too, that we have three senior linebackers who have been watching Adrian Martinez for his entire career. Yeah. Like, these guys get it. Like, yes. These we don't start three Anthony Walkers right now that can just run Martinez down, but we start three guys who are really sound and really understand what he does, and that is going to come into bear. Uh, we're in as a three and a half point favorite. Um, early look at the weather says it should be a, a nice day, at least as far as you know a seven day forecast goes. Um, but you know possible rain, but sixties. Mid to upper 60s. It's a 11 a.m. kickoff. Uh, Big Ten Network. I'll, I'll. I'm excited. You know, it's and and I'm definitely looking forward to, to whatever rhetoric is going to come out of Lincoln this week, um, and just whatever nonsense they're going to spout. And yeah, you know, it's just it's Nebraska. It's what they do. Come on. They they might be coming in pretty salty, um, but you know this Northwestern team is pretty is is, is has demonstrated that it's got a lot of, um, a lot of character. In two yeah, weeks. for sure. For sure. I, I, Absolutely. And I like Nebraska is going to, you know, try to cram it down our throats. I, that's, that's what they do. Right. Um, and I think I, I, I as long as I'm, I'm glad this game is at home. Normally this is the sort of the sort of game I worry about the expectations playing at home, but with no fans in the stadium, it almost like releases Northwestern from some of that consternation. Cause you know, you like, I, I, I gotta wonder sometimes if these players are, are anticipating all oh, how, like what percentage of the stadium is going to be Nebraska fans this time around. Right. Um, so I almost, I, 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 I kind of liked that it's at home and the lack of, um, Nebraska's ability to influence any of that home crowd is as well. Like, like as long as our guys are, don't come out like they came out in the first quarter of Iowa. Like we just, we can't come out, you know, not in the game and, and, and asleep. And I don't think that that happens uh, at home a second week in a row, but remains to be seen. 
I so I want to bring this up again just because I mentioned his name a couple times, but I just I feel like this effectively puts a ribbon on it, right? So Will Honus was expected to be Nebraska's best linebacker this year. And through the first game, that is absolutely true. And, you know, when people talk about the eyeballs that have come off this, you know, quote unquote, you know, Nebraska's defense that like, oh, they showed something in the first game. He's who they're talking about. He had six solo tackles and two TFLs in this game. But you know what? Both of those TFLs were sacks. And you know what else? He weighs 230 pounds. And you know who don't weigh 230 pounds? Every one of our offensive linemen (laughs) who don't have to fight through a heck of a lot to get to this guy. Okay. Like, like Eric Chenander, like congratulations, like work on your stunt packages all day here. All right. But that ain't going to have stop our hog mollies from eating in this game. Um, And they don't have the front four to protect guys like this. And six, one, two 30 just ain't going to get it done. Uh, when we have free release and all our big boys running downhill. It's just Nebraska's not built to handle that kind of team. They just aren't. And I expect us to prove it. You guys ready to talk about the rest of the week that was in the Big Ten real quick? Sure. Um, Start off in College Park. Maryland, uh, 45, Minnesota, 44 in overtime. Um, Minnesota stoiking an extra point. In OT, after giving up the the lead to Maryland, coming back, um, Tagovailoa, three hundred ninety four yards, three touchdowns. Maryland's defense still MIA. Um, or, sorry, it's, Minnesota's defense is MIA. It's so it's so ridiculous because we pegged this team so well, but not just in terms of what they're bad at. And it's a shame because their run game is so good, and Ibrahim is so good, and it's just being wasted right now. Yeah, they're like I think everybody was talking about how horrible their offense was, especially then when the next day Michigan came out and horked it up against Michigan yep. State, and you have to start wondering about like, well, Minnesota made Michigan's now not so great offense look that good in Week One. Like, how how bad are they? What's the basement here? And I tell you what, you heard it, you heard it here first, folks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just just brutal. Um, Ohio State, Penn State. I didn't get to see much of that game. Um, you know, Ohio State is really good. They, I mean, it was the score is kind of a little bit deceiving because Ohio State was up thirty eight thirteen in this game at one point, um, and Penn State kind of climbed back into it. But yeah, I, I mean, it, it, Ohio State had some really sloppy moments in this game, and. You can sort of juxtapose it with Clemson, though, a little bit and kind of be like, look, every team's going to have a hiccup. And Penn State was theoretically, you know, the the game with a bullet on Ohio State's schedule. But you kind of come away being like you when you get the full strength of the Ohio State battle station, um, you look at a guy like Master Teague and it's just like he's just one of the guys that they throw out there. (laughs) And I mean, I there I mean, they're. When they're going, man, and and there were a couple of times, especially early in this game, where the Ohio State defensive line was, I, I thought Clifford was not going to survive the game. Um, I was amazed that he finished and he wasn't carried out of there. Um, they were getting to him and the hits they were laying on him were absolutely brutal. So 
when you have Ohio State's full focus and you've poked the bear, so to speak, um, that team's absolutely terrifying. So Sparty beats uh, Michigan. It's amazing what happens when you don't turn the ball over seven times, huh? I just I I I still don't understand it. I mean, I knew that they weren't going to lose by twenty five. I thought that they would be better than last week, but Michigan State is a team that we thought was going to be ultra down, ultra down. And despite this, can you still not say that Michigan's defense is the best of the four units that were on the field last week? Like, yeah, I yeah. And Rocky Lombardi threw for 323 yards and three TDs against a Michigan defense. I mean, I know I know they turned over so many of their players, but my goodness, there. I mean, he's dealing through two games. One of them was against Rutgers, but uh, you know, he they are they're piling up pass yards. But it is crazy. I mean, there is that whole part of it where you're like, I mean, Michigan State, Michigan, you know, throw out the record books, so to speak, but. Man, Harbaugh, uh, I mean, golly, he just can't, these, you know, choking in games like this is so brutal. And um, all the, you know, the goodwill coming out of that Michi- uh, Minnesota game, like you said, is just completely out the window. Um, and already, you know, starting to look, I I don't want to put the cart before the horse, but uh, with strange to do, we'll get to it, but with Strange doings are transpiring in the Big Ten West. Uh, Michigan being good could be really valuable to us <laughs> later on in this season. So, Look, Michigan, jo- if, you'd, if you'd like to stop sucking and get good again, we'd really appreciate it. Joe Milton threw for 300 yards. Uh, Michigan ran the ball for over 150. Like it's, They didn't turn it over once. They didn't miss any field goals. It's very hard to figure out how this went wrong, and I think it's just it's one of these classic like field position games. They they punted it three extra times than Michigan State. Michigan State attempted two additional field goals, one of which they missed. Um, I mean this this game was played super duper even, so it's not like it's not like it's not like Michigan came out and and like really sucked, you know. And it and it's it's also not like they lost on a on a stupid blocked punt or something. Good. Um, Michigan, get it together and and then beat Wisconsin, and then we can go from there. You can climb back (laughs) into our good graces. Uh, So I've got some beef with Indiana. Uh, Can I I say really quickly, um, I want to hear what you have to say, um, and then I think it's only right that a rugby man, Scuzz, describe what he saw from Rutgers at the end of that game. (laughs) There's all that... A play that could only fit in rugby, and even then you'd be like, what in God's name is going on? But I'm sorry, Sam. Go ahead. No, it's just my, my issue with Indiana, it's, it's actually more an issue with the uh, the AP poll and the, and the coaches poll. Like, Indiana got completely outplayed by Penn State the week before, right? It, it, and and they, they won, and you know credit to them. I mean, statistically, Penn sure. State Penn – State, you know, you, you look at the box score of that game, you're saying, how did Penn State lose this game? Why is Indiana ranked 17? And now they, they beat Rutgers, and now they're ranked 13. And we're sitting at 26. I, what, I mean, come on. Sam, what, what, what gives? Sam, Liberty is 25th. My hate can climb no higher than Liberty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, look, that, look. Sam, think of it this way. Um, 
where would you prefer that Northwestern get to deal from? No, of course. Right? I mean, we, we, we want the chip on our shoulder. Yeah. I You're right, though. It's, it's ludicrous because Indiana was – I guess Indiana came into this season maybe a little bit more – regarded right more they, hype they i mean went, they, they had more hype sure they went to a bowl last year like they were good last year etc granted we have their quarterback so although no shade to michael Penix, who's been playing very well as well but i like there's i mean i i don't i don't know how you get ohio state off that pedestal but um there were a lot of jokes about a Northwestern Indiana Big Ten championship this weekend, which was which is pretty funny to think about. Peyton Ramsey Bowl. We'll we'll see. We'll see. But um, in, anything I, to say about this, this game against Rutgers? So I mean, I I, I have saw, to I have to hear your thoughts on the play, Scuzz. Come on. I saw the play, but um, which was like, and maybe there was a bunch of preamble that I missed, but basically like a backward pass that then rumbled somehow somehow rumbled for a long touchdown i don't understand how it how the runner managed to get through all the bodies that he went through but but i feel i feel like i probably need to go rewatch it because i feel like i'm missing something do you feel like do you feel that the all blacks should feel threatened by the wreckers the wreckers armada coming their way not particularly no <laughs> Would any Rutgers player start for the All Blacks in any situation at any point? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> so, and let's let's finish up talk a little Purdue Illinois. Um, you know, Illinois without their two top quarterbacks, also to, uh, due to COVID. Um, but oh, Purdue two QBs, I didn't realize that. Yeah, well, uh, Peters. For uh, positive tests and then the backup for contact tracing. So they were running like their third. Illinois was running their third string quarterback, and they still had an opportunity uh, late to potentially tie it up. So, so Matt Robinson played in this game. Who's listed as their backup QB? Corin. Oh yeah. So, well, Corin Taylor started for them. Um, so and I'm trying to remember, was he the guy who you had been kind of waiting no, for? No, Isaiah Williams is the guy I've been talking about. Maybe Isaiah Williams yeah. was. Uh, w- Williams Williams was missing for contact tracing. Ah, uh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, that that makes sense. That makes sense because Matt Robinson is the guy that filled in last year, like played played the game against Northwestern at the end of the season. Um, yeah, that's a that's a that's a catastrophic problem for Northwest or for for Illinois. At the same time, Corin Taylor like played pretty well. Um, except for the two interceptions, you know, 273 yards, averaged 9.4 per attempt, two TDs. Yeah, and I mean, and again, it's like this was Purdue and it was Illinois. I mean, Purdue, yeah. blist, Purdue blistered them on offense. 31 points doesn't really sell it. Aiden O'Connell threw for 371, six incomplete passes. Um, they got another buck from Xander Horvath, who, hey, I, I, look, I know that, it's it's Illinois, but heck, this guy put up a buck against Iowa last week too. Um, and it was, through those through those two games, he's averaging over five a carry. So um, it was it was thirty one ten entering the fourth quarter. Right. So I mean, this this game was I mean uh, Purdue handled them 
um, for sure. And Illinois' defense remains Illinois' defense, regardless of which quarterback is out there. Still no Rondell Moore. That's weird. I don't like it. I want to see I, Rondell Moore. I, I, I thought I saw somewhere that it was a lower body injury, but I, that was just anecdotal at best. Um, yeah, there's just been no, no info on, on what, what his deal is. And like when Rondell Moore comes back, Purdue gets even scarier offensively. Well, well, and the word is he's not practicing either. So like, I, I don't like, I don't expect like the, like the word going into the game or going into late last week was from a wide receivers coach. I think basically like, yeah, he's not even out there. He's not practicing right now. And so, I mean, yeah, that speaks to an injury. Um, maybe like, but if it was know. an injury, wouldn't they say it's an injury or, I mean, I don't who know. Knows? Who knows? I don't know. There. And, but I mean, there, I mean, maybe, but, maybe there's draft stuff they're hoping to avoid getting into with that. Um, are they even going to play Wisconsin this weekend? Well, like, that, do you guys that, think it's going to happen? Honest, I don't. Wait, yeah, we'll see. I mean, we're, again, though, we're, we're I, recording this on Sunday. I, I think they're going to make that call on Tuesday, and um, maybe we'll have to come back later on in the week to uh, to talk about this. But uh, I don't. Ugh. I mean, as decimated as Wisconsin has been for positive it, COVID tests, like twenty some odd now. Well, and a bunch – the thing is, a bunch of those are coaches, so we don't really know um, exactly what the specifics are. I, I mean, I just want to stress – this is all a way of strength, and I just want to stress that, like, depending on who Wisconsin's playing in any given week, their defense is enough to get it done. If the majority of their defensive starters are out there and they can put a quarterback out there and just run the ball, they're going to be in just about every game that they could play. Their defense is phenomenal. It's unreal. Um, so it's all, it's kind of up in the air. Now, granted, like Purdue is Purdue and someone's got to cover David Bell. Um, and you know, Purdue's going to give them their very best game. But again, it's like if, if Wisconsin can make it work, they'll make it work. I mean, I, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but, um, at some point Wisconsin's got to kind of start playing some football games because if they win out, that's one thing. And they get a shot at everyone in the West. So if they win out, it doesn't matter how few games they play, they should be in, in good shape. Except, except, except you have except to play if, six games to be eligible for the Big Ten Championship. Oh, so yeah. So I mean, well, there. So then it would start adding up. Then the other thing that we've talked about too is in a situation where, let's say, they didn't play a Purdue and Purdue won out and Wisconsin won out, Purdue gets in. Gross as that may seem, um, because Purdue would have one more win. Um, and I think it's those kind of factors, too, and we kind of alluded to it earlier. But um, again, as weird as it is, Northwestern could lose to Wisconsin, beat everybody else. And if Wisconsin loses to Michigan, Northwestern's going in over Wisconsin because we'd have one more overall win. So it's all kind of squirrely. Um I would, you know, I was saying to you guys, I'd feel icky about that um, and, and a little strange as I quickly grabbed the invitation to the Big Ten Championship game. So, um, you know, we'll kind of see. Obviously, there's so much going on, and, and this is bit Wisconsin. It could bite anyone else. It could bite us. It's, but, it's biting. It's biting Illinois. Yeah. So again, so I'm, um, you know, again, and that's why you know we're gonna keep 
we're going to have to keep playing all this by ear. But um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if, if Wisconsin can make it work, regardless of which quarterback is under center, I think they they definitely can can put a team out there that can beat Purdue. But yeah, I mean, again, we don't know all the details. We don't know exactly what the list is right now. We don't know where they are at this point in time. So we will have to wait and see like everyone else. So theoretically, Purdue-Wisconsin at 2.30 um, on ABC. We will see if that if that goes down. Uh, Wisconsin currently an 8.5-point favorite. Uh, I don't know. I mean, again, same thing with Nebraska. We saw Wisconsin obliterate a bad Illinois team. And that's all we've seen. Right. I mean, I think the, the single biggest thing to me... And, and again, this is something you should want to see is Jeff Brom versus Jim Leonard. Um, just that passing attack, that David Bell, Milton Wright, brilliant passing attack up against a team that schemes pass pressure better than just about anyone else in the country. Um, and I think you really hope we get a chance to see that um, because I think it, it would just it would be awesome to see. And I think Wisconsin's got more talent. I think Wisconsin's got the ponies to get it done. I just hope we get to see that matchup. And ju- just to quickly mention, um, as, as we're talking about Wisconsin and Illinois and their issues with COVID, um, Soul and Smoke is a organization in Evanston that is uh, providing meals to uh, hospitals and to people who uh, people in need. Um, we've kind of adopted them as our uh, our charity for the year. Um, we're donating to Soul and Smoke to help uh, feed people who need feeding, um, just sort of as a way to mitigate our weird feelings about playing through this uh, through this pandemic. Um, but I did just want to give them a quick plug. Uh, Soul and Smoke, all of their information you can find on our website. Uh, westlawpirates.com so check it out if you're able to uh, donate that'd be awesome if not we totally understand but uh, yeah it's all smoke and, and just you know to tack on to that something that I've been thinking about lately too when you read things like hey you know treatment for COVID is getting a lot better and there are a lot of things that they can do for patients now that they didn't used to be able to do right and that there have been advances and and things that have that have helped save tons of lives, right? All of that was done through the hard work of hospital workers, right? All of that was done through frontline people in hospitals, working with patients um, on treatments and things like that. Like all of those advances, all of those improvement came um, through the hard work of people who were really putting their health on the line. And Soul and Smoke is the kind of place where you can go and you can provide meals. Um, to people like that, and you can give back um, directly to the people in our community who have been making that sacrifice, so that everyone else's lives can get a little bit better. So again, it's it's options. Find charities that work well for you. But like Sam said, we've we've got a great one here if you're looking for one. Michigan, Indiana, eleven o'clock on FS1. Um, Michigan, ranked number twenty-three. Indiana, as I mentioned, ranked number thirteen. Michigan, a three and a half point road favorite. This is this is your battle for second place with a bullet in the Big Ten in the Big Ten East. Um, Indiana's got it there if they want it. If they want it, they can grab it right here. It's hard for me. Like, 
luck doesn't work this way, right? But it feels like Indiana got a little lucky and Michigan got a little unlucky and that that's due to swing back this game, if anything. But we'll see. I mean, like, Penix is a, is a dynamic quarterback and you know that Indiana defense is um, disciplined and, you know, Michigan might not be. So, I like, I would I would bet on Michigan here if I were going to bet in this in this place um at least on them winning but uh, I don't know in like this might this, this could also just be Indiana's year right what's the line in this one three Michigan Michigan by three and a half yeah so I mean yeah I mean I think Michigan's the more talented team but Indiana is I mean I give them credit because we you know we talked them up in the offseason and they came out and they've given it their absolute best so far and they're two and oh and you know and they deserve it and like Sam said, there's been a little bit of luck, but I mean, they also play their balls off in that game. So, I mean, they're going to get hammered in the trenches in this one. There's no doubt about that. Um, there's a massive talent disparity there. Um, Indiana's defense kind of, you know, they hang on. They hang on just enough to let the offense work. Um, Penix is going to have to be targeting and locating the ball. Um and yeah, I mean, I'm with Scuzz. If I had to call it, I'd call that Michigan's going to win this one. And at the end of the day, they might win it um, the going away, but Hey, Indiana's had the magic so far. Maybe they can pull it out again. Uh, also at 11 o'clock on ESPN, Michigan state, Iowa. I'm real interested to see, um, both of these teams, how they come out. Uh, you know, Iowa after losing to us by one Michigan state after beating Michigan, you know, and just to kind of scout Michigan state, just cause we saw what we did to, what we were able to do and what we weren't able to do with Iowa see what they're able to do, what they weren't able to do against us, and how that translates to Michigan State. Um, Iowa's sitting at a six-and-a-half-point favorite uh, with the over-under at 50.5. The high-flying Michigan State Spartans offense coming into Kinnick Stadium. <laughs> I don't quite know what to make of that. But, uh, but yeah, uh, Michigan com- I think they're coming back to earth. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. I mean, um, like, like, how do you not let down after – after beating Michigan in a year where you were supposed to be hot garbage and then have to go on the road against a salty, frustrated opponent. Yep. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. It's hard to believe that, that, that a team that played a Michigan game aside, that team turned the ball over seven times against flipping Rutgers and I was staring zero and three at the face in this game. And uh, I think they're, they're going to dodge that and take it to the Spartans. Uh, we talked about Purdue, Wisconsin. Um, Wisconsin, eight and a half point favorite. Uh, Maryland, Penn State. This How one, is Penn State, zero and two. Yeah, this one. I Man. so got Penn State being zero and three would be the greatest thing in the world. This one has a little bit of look away children feel to it, though. Yeah, yeah. I think Penn State is. Yes, one of these teams is one and one, and one of these teams is zero and two, and I think the zero and two team might take the one and one team behind the woodshed. They are a twenty. Penn State is a twenty-five and a half point favorite. Yeah, there. Yeah, there. I mean, and again, all credit to Maryland. Um, all credit to Talia for for balling out in that game against what we know is a bad Minnesota defense. But um, Penn State is there. They're going to bring it in this one. Penn State ain't going to average 1.6 yards per rush against Maryland like they did against Ohio State. Right. Um, Talk about hiding the children. Uh, Minnesota at Illinois. Boy, Minnesota is a nine and a half point favorite. 
Well, so here's the thing about this one. I mean, we talked about it before. Minnesota's defense sucks, and they've been snake bit this year. Um, ain't no one on Illinois can tackle Muhammad Ibrahim. Like, there, he can drag whichever, like, guy doesn't get flatlined by the Minnesota offensive line. Um, I just don't see how Illinois stops them in any way, shape, or form. So, yeah, are both of these teams going to score? Sure. Um, but, I, I mean... One of these teams does one thing super well, um, and it's unclear what Illinois does well. Yeah, that's I think that's right. Minnesota's run game is spectacular, and I like I tuned out of the Maryland game when Minnesota went up what thirty five twenty one something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Ibrahim just looked unstoppable. Their O line is really really good. They were getting the the RPO passes off of the run game that you would expect them to be able to get to keep the chains moving. And, I mean, they must have gone in a little bit of a turtle shell. And Talia obviously, you know, tore the cover off the ball in that in, in, toward the fourth quarter. But against Illinois, I just I don't know how Illinois does anything even against this horrible Minnesota defense. Yeah, I mean – I mean, without their top two QBs, I, I know there's, you know, status on Peters is, is written in stone. I don't know about Williams, but I mean, like, is, I guess, is Minnesota's defense worse than Purdue's? They're, I mean, they're, they're comparable, but I mean, again, yeah. it's like they're, I expect a, a similar result. I expect a game that maybe Illinois gets some garbage points, but I don't see this being close. Well, uh, and Minnesota won't take their foot off the gas, right? Like after, right. after they're yeah, they're they're week. pissed, yeah. Um, Rutgers at Ohio State, no line here. If if Ohio State turned it over seven times, do you think Rutgers would have a chance to win this one? Nope. No. <laughs> I hey, we don't know though. It could be that you know Shiano's been on the phone, discussed with with the Springboks this week with the All well, Blacks. He's putting together a rugby based game plan. I think they're going to hit Ohio State with something they ain't never seen before. Well, and he has seen Ohio State, right? Like he worked, uh, he worked there. I mean, he, I guess he wasn't on Ryan Day's staff, but uh, ooh, yeah. Let's start some kind of let's start some Lane Kiffin <laughs> truthing kind of thing going yeah. here. Yeah. So wait a minute, like was Rutgers actively like laddering, lateraling the ball during? Yeah, his, it, his there was of like, this it was like I mean, no, no, no it, was, it, was active... one, it was it was one play. Nine laterals. One went a little bit forward. Uh, so define it got, it actively got back. and define lateral. But yes, the ball moved a lot of places. <laughs> I'm 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 convinced. Like I will never forget the Randy Moss. Um, I guess it was a hook and ladder play, but um, I, I and I forget who it was against. But he 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 pitched the ball to. Um, I think it was Ontario Smith. Um, uh, on on a relatively deep pass, um, but I've just I've always thought that the risk of fumble is so is so great in the in like in, in football um, versus versus rugby, but an enterprising coach would be able to figure out how to do it right, um, and it would be devastating. So I don't know, maybe maybe he maybe he can bring it to bring it to to the Big Ten. Sam, is the line on this one over forty? So the line I see in Vegas is um, it opened at minus thirty-seven. Okay. It opened. Yeah, I don't know. And it's and it's and it's been bet down to or bet up to minus thirty-eight and a half. 
Yeah, wow. I was going to say. That, that's got plenty of time to move. <laughs> <laughs> the helium balloon strapped to that one's got plenty of time. Um, but yeah, I mean, realistically, yeah, I mean, whatever. That's It's a cakewalk for Ohio State, and um, and on they go. God, how does Ohio State stay awake over the next? I guess Michigan State now is something, they, and Indiana are things they got to pay attention to, but they get Rutgers. They play Maryland next week. Then they Oof. have to host IU before going at Illinois, at Michigan State, and then hosting Michigan. Yep. There are Golly. a few... There are a few other juicy matchups uh, nationally um, this weekend. Can, can we talk about the other COVID game? Yeah, I, I think we should. Uh, are you talking about Notre Dame Clemson, perhaps? Yes, yes, I am. Oh yeah, goodness. I mean, I the Clemson. I'm going to butcher his name if I try to say it. Feel free, either of you, to step in. Um, D- DJ Ugalele. DJ Ugalele. Um, he's. I mean. It's poor Clemson. They have to rely on five-star number three overall recruit in the nation to take over for Trevor Lawrence. 6'4", 250 pounds. Yeah, the guy's I mean, like, he's a, like Cam Newton reincarnate. Yeah, and he apparently he's like a future high baseball draft pick and et cetera. Um, but I, you know, I, t- I told you guys when Lawrence went down, though, and again, this is before we saw Ugalele play, but um, the most valuable quarterback in the country is Ian Book right now because... Notre Dame, I just, the drop-off there, Ian Book it makes that team go, and he's so good. And I think, honestly, kind of underrated and lost in the national conversation right now. I do not think Notre Dame is in Clemson's class in any way, shape, or form, but Book is awesome. And he's really good, and he's really good at running a team. And, and you know, if it's a situation where, you know, you've at least got the experience of one guy on that side of the field. If, if there's going to be something that keeps Notre Dame in it, I think that's what it'll be. Well, and Notre Dame's been with minus the weird game against Louisville. They've blown out everyone they've played this year. Um, their offense is solid. They've got, you know, high skill talent, you know, across the board. Again, to your point, not quite like Clemson, but, um, and then on the other side, you know, I, I think it's going to come down to they're, they're going to be able to tackle, like, how good is this guy through the air? He torched Boston College, um, 75% completion, 340 yards, two TDs, et cetera. So I like, but the, the, this game has an extra interesting wrinkle because Lawrence isn't playing. Yeah. And that it's at Notre Dame. Right. And like, if, if it's at Notre Dame and Notre Dame wins and it's a tight game then the questions are really going to start, mm-hmm. you know, if, uh, especially if Uglegle has a bad game or something, but it's tight. Um, you wonder how much it'll even hurt Clemson, but then things get really complicated, right? Because if Notre Dame wins out um, and Clemson's sitting there with one loss, you know, do we really put two ACC teams in? Um, so we'll see, obviously Oklahoma state, you know, officially knocking the big 12 out of consideration certainly helps everybody else's case, but yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. Florida, Georgia is going to be fun. That always is. Yeah. God, I just want Georgia to pace them. I'm so sick of Dan Mullen this year. I just want (laughs) just, just smoke them, Georgia, just plow them. Uh, This week also marks the return of the PAC 12. Yeah, and Oregon, who's been kind of hanging around, you know, nipping around the top 10 for a long time, despite not having played at all. I think right off the bat, they get Stanford. So I'll be really curious to see, you know, how much Oregon shows out here. Because uh, 
there's a lot of other teams, Wisconsin being one, for example, who have really shown that they're, you know, going to come to play this year if they can. So, um, so yeah, we'll see. I'll be curious to see what Oregon's got. That that and USC are the only two ranked teams in the Pac-12 uh, as no one has played yet. But uh, I'll, I'll be interested to see just how relevant the Pac-12 is going to be. I mean, the Big Ten's been back for a couple weeks and, you know, still kind of you know, shaking off the rust. But, you know, with the Pac-12 now starting even later, even fewer games, you know, it, that kind of raises the importance um, you just, you can't have a stinker if you want to get into the, uh, into the playoff conversation. Well, and they just struggle with eyeballs in time zone, right? Like, like all, like the PAC 12 has got all these other factors that, um, make it less relevant than, than a conference like the big 10. And now they're starting behind the eight ball without a clear team, like Ohio state, like from the national conversation is like the return of the big 10 is all about Ohio state and they've you know, benefited from some of these other, like the Wisconsin and, and Michigan, et cetera. So, but I don't know, like, does, does USC Arizona state mean anything to anyone? Well, I mean, what, what's interesting about USC Arizona state is it's a 9am kickoff in LA. They're, they're running those early games so they can get the eyeballs. It's on big daddy Fox at, at the, the Fox noon game. All so. I have to say is body clocks. 9 a.m. What? <laughs> yeah. It, it's, I mean, it's good, though. They should have done this a while ago. I mean, as well as people like Pac-12 after dark, you got to be a part of the national conversation. So I'm glad they're doing it. The other one I'm going to say is uh, uh, we're all Hokies at heart this week um, because Liberty is holding our spot. Um, stupid Liberty. Just dumb Liberty has our spot in the top 25 right now. They've played cupcake schedule so far. Uh, the Hokies are 4-2. and two. Um, Liberty's going into Lane Stadium. Virginia Tech, I expect a beatdown here. Handle your business. You're a team that's played in the national championship game before. I expect that pride and that ACC talent to come out and you handle your business so that we can be where we belong next week. Amen to that, brother. Well, I mean, it, it's a full weekend of football. Um, Going to be a, a, a lot to watch, uh, especially as the November slate comes up. Uh, we're going to be getting the first uh, playoff rankings here coming up pretty soon, aren't we? For whatever that's worth. Um, you know, how, how they're going to decide a playoff is really beyond me. So I, I, I look for some statement games or some teams to try to make statements Ohio State any Pac-12 team that you know wants to sniff the playoff etc I'm just thinking let's look there's there's I figure a 5% chance that they scramble an eight team bubble out of this at the end of the day and I feel like we can be a part of that bubble so let's just keep going and uh, you know these rules are all being written a week at a time here so come on let's uh Let's just keep winning, and we'll see what plays out. So true. So that was a, that's almost exactly what I was going to say. Just like, let's make a statement against Nebraska. Absolutely. No, no, no close game this year. 
Well, that'll just about wrap it up for us tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Westlaw Pirates. And email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Ha ha ha